Uh, John 10.10 is going to be my theme scripture for today. John 10.10. And I'm going to be talking today specifically about overflow, that God is the God of overflow, and it's his characteristic, his desire to overflow in our lives. Abundance, that he is a God of abundance. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only in order to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now that word overflow simply means in excess, the excess or surplus that just doesn't have the accommodated space or available space. It uh, means to flow over the brim. So that scripture, overflow, is repeated throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus' very desire was that we would experience life and life more abundantly until it begins to overflow. Now, any of you who have been walking with Jesus, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about, that it's his very nature to increase you more and more. And so the longer you walk with Jesus, as long as we've been consecrated and walking with him, our lives will continue to improve spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, at no expense or regrets of compromise. You know, a lot of times people think, well, in order for me to get ahead in life, I've got to compromise somewhere in my life. I'm going to have to compromise a little bit in my marriage so I can get ahead in my career. Or I have to compromise a little bit my career to get ahead in my marriage or my parenting. But when you walk with Jesus, you develop a well-balanced life that has no regrets and no resentment. And it begins to overflow into our life to a point where people should say, Wow, I would love to have a marriage like you. I would love to have kids like you. I would love... To have a career like you. I would love to be successful like you someday. And I think the more people begin to see that in your life, that is a direct result of the good shepherd himself. You know, sometimes people have this mindset, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall have a lot of troubles and I will be in lack and I will have a lot of pain in life. That's not what Psalm 23 says it all, does it? The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not, say it out loud, want. I shall not want. He goes on to say, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He anoints my head with oil, and my cup, say it out loud, runs over. My cup runs over. Now, God wants us to have this image of him, Because a lot of people think, well, I don't know, does God really want me to have a successful life like that? Maybe it's just my lot in life to be poor and to have this fall apart in my life. Maybe, maybe God's just teaching me a lesson with this cancer. Or maybe God's just teaching me a lesson with this whole thing that happened to my marriage or my family and how it all fell apart. And there's a lot of Christians that will actually teach that very doctrine that is not biblical at all. Think of it like this. Let's say there are in certain parts of the country still today, shepherds just like there were years ago when Jesus was still here on earth. Shepherds. Now picture a shepherd that you've been hearing about for years. And you're in that nation. You just happen to be in that country. 
And this shepherd, you've been told, is a very successful shepherd. He's very wealthy. He wears a very nice robe. He wears a, a gold crown. He's got a staff and a rod in his hands that are made out of diamonds and emeralds and rubies and gems. And his, his robe is actually made out of diamonds itself. And he's extremely, extremely successful. And so you've always thought, I can hardly wait to meet this shepherd someday. So all of a sudden, you hear that he's going to be passing by a location that you just happen to be nearby. And so you're eagerly wanting to see the shepherd for yourself. So you go to see the shepherd, and you see the shepherd walking by. And sure enough, here he comes, very uh, just uh, stout, just a really strong figure. And just all of exactly that you've been hearing about for years. And he's walking by. But the thing that catches your eye is that you see behind him the sheep following. And the sheep, the first layer of sheep, the first section of sheep are poor and starving and miserable looking, real pitiful. And then after that section of sheep, there's a bunch of them with broken legs and broken limbs and they're just limping along and they're just, and then after that section, the back row, the back section, it's a bunch of sheep that have big gashes out of their side like a wolf had got at them. And they're just barely making it. Let me ask you a question. If you were watching from a distance and looking at this, would you want to follow that shepherd? I don't care how successful that shepherd looks. I don't care how good looking that shepherd is. I don't care everything that I've heard about that shepherd. The direct reflection of that shepherd is in the flock. Are you hearing me today? And there's a lot of Christians that say, Yep, God put this cancer on me. Yep, God took my baby home. Premature, after all, God gives and he takes, doesn't he, right? Have you ever heard that before? Or, you know, this, this whole situation, he let me go through bankruptcy and, man, everything fell apart. I am financially broke. Hey, by the way, do you want to come follow my shepherd? How many people are going to say, yeah, sign me up? I want to follow that shepherd too. I want to... No, they already got a shepherd like that, don't they? That steals, kills, and destroys. They don't want a shepherd like that. They want a shepherd that makes you to lie down in green pastures. Now, sheep, if you know anything about livestock, they don't lay down at noonday unless their bellies, their little bellies are really full and they're stuffed. Livestock will sit there and graze throughout the day, and they typically just do not lay down unless they're really full. And yet the scriptures make it clear because the Lord is my shepherd, and I am stuffed. I can't take another bite. I am so full. I'm going to lay down in this green grass and watch this beautiful green grass just wave in the nice breeze and the sun. Oh, I love the sun, the presence of the sun, just basking in the presence of the sun. Oh, what a wonderful feeling. Because the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. And yet so many people have convinced other people that God put this on me. God put this sickness on me. God did this to me. And you know what that's called? It's the blind leading the blind. In the scripture, Jesus says that there's going to be times where there's a sheep. They look like a sheep. But on the inside, they're a ravenous wolf. There are people who are dressed looking like a shepherd that on the inside, they are a ravenous wolf. 
And they are teaching the body of Christ that God comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And many of the flock have fallen to pray to that. The biggest tactic that the enemy has is deception. And when he can deceive the body of Christ, he can get them from receiving from the good shepherd. What God wants you to understand today is he wants you to have the right painting on the canvas of your heart of who God really is. That he is a good shepherd. Say this with me. Jesus Jesus is is my good shepherd. My cup runs over. Amy, would you come forward for a moment? I want you to get this image in your mind because, once again, Scripture after Scripture, whether we're talking about John 10.10 or we're talking about Psalm 23, we are going to see constantly and consistently throughout the Scripture that God doesn't seem to know when to stop. Would you hold that like that? He seems to just say, okay, hold up your cup, okay? So you hold it up. And he starts pouring, and you're thinking he's going to stop about halfway. Or maybe when it gets to the brim, he's going to stop. But he just keeps pouring. And you're sitting there thinking, hey, God, it's overflowing. It's, it's running over. It keeps, God, it's running. God, 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 it's running over. Are you going to stop pretty soon? God, God, this is like seriously running over. And it runs over, and it runs over off the table, onto the floor, and out the door. And you're sitting there thinking, God, do you not know that it's running over? God's very characteristic, his very nature is to run your cup over. To cause it to the point where you're just like, God, this is too much God. There's too much blessing. There's too much. Because he doesn't seem to know when to stop. He is a good father. And he keeps pouring it out. And a lot of people will say, that's a waste. That's a waste. Do you remember when Judas Iscariot said that? When the woman who poured the wonderful, wonderful alabaster jar onto Jesus and Judas Iscariot shouted and said, what a waste, a waste on who? Wow. And did you know that people are like that in the body of Christ? Picture this with me for a moment. In heaven, wow. Most of us, we would be so content just to have a 10 by 12 room with a cot on the floor, wouldn't we? We missed hell, gained heaven. And we'd be just so thankful just to have a 10 by 12 room in heaven with a cot on the floor. That is something to shout about in itself. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm going, I'm going before you and I'm going to prepare a mansion, an extravagant home, a beautiful home that if NBC, ABC, any of these guys caught wind of how extravagant your home is in heaven... Some of them would have a conniption. They'd be like, oh my goodness, that's a waste. Why not give that to the poor? Well, there are no poor in heaven. And I think that's why Judas Iscariot reasoned in his mind that he said, we should have used that somehow else. But the Bible makes it clear he said that only because he was a thief. Now, think of it like this. In heaven, the walls are made out of Beautiful emeralds and gems, uh, jacinth and uh, amethyst. And uh, I mean, it just goes on and on. Beautiful, beautiful walls. The gates are approximately 120 feet tall and they're made out of a pearl. Beautiful. Uh, 
I remember when my mom passed away, my sister, my, my sister had a dream of her the very next day that she had passed away. And my mom, she was in heaven with her senior, and she was so elated. She said, my whole door is a ruby. I mean, there is no cut corners in heaven. I mean, I appreciate what Mike does and all these other people who put granite in our houses and make our houses look nice and all that stuff. But in heaven, you're going to have, like, I'm telling you, to a whole new level of rock. I'm talking about diamonds and rubies and all sorts of extravagant gems. And I'm telling you, the streets are not paved with gold. They are gold. Now, let me ask you a question. What would happen if you decided that you wanted to make your driveway out of 24-karat gold, and uh, you decided that you wanted to uh, make your windows and your doors lined with gems like emeralds and diamonds and rubies and all that stuff, uh, what would happen to you if you did that? I think you'd probably be on national news by tomorrow, right? And if somebody found out you were a Christian... Guess what a lot of people, including Christians, would say? What a waste! A waste on who? That sounds like Judas Iscariot, which isn't necessarily good company to be hanging around with, is it? Judas Iscariot was a thief. And did you know that most Christians who have a conniption about somebody who has something nice, even if you put gold hubcaps on your car, most of the world would have a conniption. And they would say, what a waste. What a waste. You should have done something else with that money. The majority of those people, they sound just like Judas Iscariot because if they had the chance to steal, they would steal themselves. And yet God's saying, that's not a waste. And all you would be doing would be simply imitating your heavenly father. And yet the world will have a conniption, won't they? I think today, I'm not suggesting that you go and you put 24-karat gold driveways in and uh, lay your windows, uh, line your windows with gems and rubies and all that stuff. That's, that's between you and God. If God blesses you and you get some gold hubcaps, we at High Point Church will be saying, hey, can I get a picture next to your car? I think that looks really, really cool. But we're going to celebrate you because God made it clear if he was willing to give you his only begotten son, how much more is he willing to give to you and me? In other words, I'm giving you my very best so you can wrap your faith around the much smaller things in life because you are the treasure. You are the trophy. You are the reason I came to the earth and you are the reason why I went to the cross is because of you. And if he was willing to give you Jesus, how much more is he willing to give you? I think today it's time to understand that God is a God of overflow and he's been trying to get into a whole lot of people's life to get them to start overflowing in life and to start receiving better, but they choke because they're concerned of what? A little persecution? Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, that listen, when you come and follow me, when you walk with me and anything that you give up in life, you're going to give back in this lifetime a hundredfold and in the ages to come. Oh, by the way, you're going to have some persecution too. Nobody likes the persecution part of it. But let me tell you, when the rewards come and the blessings come, all it is is simply just an affirmation of God saying, I love you. I love you, Gary. 
I love you, Mike. I love you, Drew. That's all it is. All that stuff is replaceable, but you're not. God cares so much about you that he gave you his son. So you and I could wrap our faith around the much smaller things in life. And God is a God of too much. Why? Because he wants it to run over. Why? Because it's a direct reflection of the good shepherd in our life. When your life keeps improving and getting better. And let me tell you, God is not ashamed of you when your life is really messed up. When you first give your life to Jesus, your life is not perfect by any means. And even if you've been walking with Jesus, there have been times where we've taken down the shield of faith and the enemy got a hit on us, didn't he? And we look like a mess. And God has no problem still saying, you are my son and I am well pleased with you. You are my daughter and I am well pleased with you. And he is more than happy when we repent of our sins, when we come to him. He, is, he has no problem picking up the broken pieces in our life and being well pleased with us. He is not ashamed of us. He loves us, even when we have messed up. And he doesn't want to leave us that way. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And what he's begun in us, he's going to complete it and finish it to the end. But you just need to learn to be patient with yourself as you are sanctified and you keep growing in your relationship with the Lord. And to remember that the blessings are not hinged on us being perfect. The blessings are hinged on him, Jesus Christ, being perfect. God is looking for anyone in this earth who's got their heart perfect towards him. Now, the King James Version says heart perfect. Don't let that word perfect mess you up. It just means your heart's wholehearted towards him. And even at that, there are still going to be times where our minds are not renewed enough and we're going to make some mistakes along this journey. We're going to sin here. We're going to make a mistake over here. We're going to fall short of the glory here. But listen, if we keep thinking that God is a God of overflow and that he reigns on the just and the unjust, why? Because he loves you and me. Then it's not hinged upon performance love anymore. And that's where we need to get to in our life is we've got to stop thinking because mom and dad said, oh, wow, I'm going to reward you because you got an A on your report card. Let's go out for ice cream. God says, you got an F? Come on, let's go out for ice cream. I know, it kind of goes contrary. It makes your head tilt. It's like, what? It's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. And that's where a lot of earthly fathers mess up and a lot of earthly mothers mess up because a lot of times they're training their kids to think performance-minded. And God says, no, I am going to love you unconditionally. And yes, the blessings are going to be more frequent. We're going to experience more of his blessings in our life when we are walking with him rather than rebelling and resisting him. Of course, you draw near to him, he's going to draw near to us. But we need to come to grasp this concept that it's important as the Apostle Paul prayed, God, help us to understand the length, the depth, the breadth, and the height of God's love. It's because the more we understand how much he loves us, and yes, there is a protective face of God. There is a protective side of God, and we need to understand that side. We need to understand that there is a corrective side. It doesn't mean that he's not going to teach you right from wrong, but it does not change his unconditional agape love for us when we mess up. And we need to come to know that this cup is going to keep overflowing. I don't care how many times you mess up. It's going to keep pouring. We just have to put ourselves in position to receiving his 
unconditional love. John 10.10, once again, the word abundantly in the Greek, this word abundance is persos, persos, which means super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. And the Strong's Concordance, it means excessive. In other words, God is excessive. Too much. Too much, God. Too much love. Too much forgiveness. Too much mercy. Too much joy. Too much. Too much. Super abundant. Now, it's right before that. The word is more. More? Super abundant? What does that mean? Excess. Too much. Your cup is overflowing. You didn't deserve it, but it keeps pouring. God, I didn't deserve this. I don't care. I'm going to keep pouring my love on you. Why? Because it's that goodness, that love, that leads us to repentance. It helps us. There's a, a book, Charles Capps writes. He writ, he's written it now. He's passed on to be with the Lord. But it's, it's probably gone out to millions and millions of people, probably four million or so of these copies. This is a little mini book on finances, confession of finances, and so on. And I love it because their story Amy was sharing, it's in the finance one, right? Is that correct? Finance? So I think it's in the finance one where the story, there is a man who was not a believer, but he ended up wanting this particular job, a particular job, and he didn't get it. His other friend got the job. And he was very disappointed. And this friend of his who was a Christian said, oh, this is what I'm doing in my life. I'm just applying these principles and I'm making these confessions. So he gives his other friend this book. And he says, read this book. Well, his life so began to change radically that he called up Charles Capp's ministry years later. Now, this is a long time ago. Which one is it? This is God's creative power. Oh, let me, let me show this so that people can see it. God's creative power will work for you. Over 4 million copies in print. Charles Capps. Just a little mini book. Anybody can get this book. It's just probably a buck or something. Who knows? But it's, he gives this book then to this guy. This guy calls Charles Capps' ministry up and says, where can I find a church? I want to give my life to Jesus because my life has been so radically changed by the spiritual principles in this book. Now, everybody wants this book, don't you? This is Amy's. You're going to have to arm wrestle her for it. So anyway, I just, you know, that's what it is is people come to repentance. Now, there are some in Jude, the book of Jude, it says that some will be saved because of fear of going to hell. But the majority of us, it wasn't because we were afraid of going to hell. I mean, don't get me wrong, and we don't want to go to hell. But most of us have given our lives to Jesus because of his love, his goodness. It's what drew us to repentance. We just kept having that cup pour out on our lives to overflowing. And that's what drew us to him. We wanted to follow him because he was so good and he's so awesome. Why is he doing this? In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, I think we see a vision starting to unfold. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Wouldn't it be great as a Christian? Just think of it like this. And you hear about a budget. Let's say we're going to do like a week-long conference here at High Point Church, and we bring in all these awesome guest speakers, and we have amazing nights of worship, and the power of God is moving so powerfully. And let's say it's a, I don't know, a $50,000 budget or a $100,000 budget to do this whole one-week thing. Let's just say. Now, wouldn't it be great if you just, you had the freedom in your life to just say, God, I can cover this whole thing. How much do you want me to cover? Can I, can I pay the whole thing? Is that all right with you, Lord? Can I pay all $100,000? Can I pay 50000 
What can I do, Lord? I want to do something. I want to make a difference. Wouldn't that be just wonderful? We're created in his image. We have a desire to give, don't we? His love has been shed abroad in our hearts. It's a desire to want to be like that, to be able to give like that. Because that's who we are now. It's who we've become is we've become like him. So we want to imitate him and we want to do kindness. And this is what the scripture is saying is that he's doing this so we can have more than enough for every, for every good work. That's the desire and the nature of God and it gets inside of us. I want you to think about John 10.10 10 and the Thayer's definition. I'm saying on John 10.10 10 quite a bit today. But in the Thayer's definition, the words abundance in the King James Version, it actually means exceeding the measure or rank of the need over and above more than is necessary, super added, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon. Doesn't that sound like Ephesians 3.20? Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that's working in us. God is saying, I want you to know me this way. I know that some of us have been taught contrary to this belief, but I am preaching straight from the Bible. And when I preach straight from the Bible, I don't ask you to believe Sean, but I do ask you to believe what the Bible says. The Bible is our final authority. I don't care what man has said. And I love and I respect mankind because they're made in God's image. But there are a lot of shepherds out there that just are blind leading the blind. And they're teaching you that God wants you to be broke. He wants you to be poor. He wants you to uh, experience this tough time in your life so you can learn something important in life. I wouldn't do that to my own kids. I want them to have wisdom, but I'm not going to throw them out in front of a car and say, hey, I want you to understand something. It hurts if you run out in traffic. Here. <laughs> Some people teach you that. God's teaching them a lesson. Well, sure, you're going to learn something out of that. But he doesn't do it that way. He tells us that he corrects us, he chastises us, the Bible says, with his word. Not with cancer, not with sickness, not with taking a baby of yours home premature. He loves you and he's not going to steal, kill, and destroy. It's right. Satan who's stealing and killing and destroying. Don't get the two confused. And Satan will do everything he can to look like an angel of light to convince you the truth. And yet it's a lie. We have got to stick to the word of God. And what the word of God is, has got to be our final authority. And if it's not in the word of God, we have no right to believe it. And we shouldn't. We should believe God and his word. God wants your cup to run over so you have enough for every good work around you. That's the very nature and desire of God that's been put in your heart. And so it's time to receive and stop looking at where you're at today and start realizing how good God is and he's going to get you to the place where you want to be. Because he is the Lord, your shepherd, and you shall not want. It doesn't say, you know, I'll just meet your needs because they're teaching out there like that too. Oh, God will meet your needs, but he won't meet your wants. That's unbiblical. We've already crossed that field and went sideways, you could say, with that teaching and said, no, 
The Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. Okay, let's talk about needs. Philippians 4.19, God says he'll meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, in heaven there is excess. There is extravagance. There is a mansion prepared for you. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God desires to lavish you. When we partner with Jesus, I'm telling you, this is where it takes you to a whole new level of living because there's no regrets in living for Jesus and partnering with Jesus. Whether we're talking about tithing, giving, let me put it this way. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and say it out loud. Saying what? One more time. What's happening? Oh, my goodness. Scripture after scripture is revealing to us who our true shepherd is. That he is a God that is going to run your cup over until it overflows. Because he is a good God and he loves you. And that's why he's called the God, uh, the El Shaddai, the one who provides more than enough. He's a good father. He's a good shepherd. And any time that you partner, whether we're talking about giving... He's going to make sure it comes back to you running over. Or let's say in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, this is where Peter shares his boat with Jesus. Jesus says he's preaching. He didn't want to get crushed. Can I use that boat? Push out a little bit. He teaches the multitude so he doesn't get crushed. Now he says thank you kind of thing. Let's go out into the deep. Put down your net. So he puts down his net and his net begins to break. Now didn't God know that his net was breaking? Didn't God know that that was too much fish? So he signals for his partners. And his partners come out there. And they start, they put down their nets. And their nets begin to break. And they begin to fill their boats. And now the boats are beginning to sink. Doesn't God know that's too much? I mean, he could have just sent in like a half full net or, you know, whatever. It could have been just a lot less. And they would have been, I'm sure, very happy, very content. But he keeps sending them in to the point where their nets are breaking. The boats are sinking. Their cups are running over because God is a God of too much. He doesn't know when to stop, you could say. Okay, let me give you one more illustration then. In Luke chapter 9, I just want this to get so embedded in your heart that any time that you partner with Jesus, he is a rewarder to those who partner with him. He is a giver. He makes sure that your cup runs over. In Luke chapter 9, verses 12 through 17, there's this little lad. And lad, that, in those days, the word lad meant that he was anywhere between ages 8 to 12. Now that little lad had probably like a Flintstone lunchbox that his mom packed and gave him a few fish sticks. I mean, he's got a few pieces of bread and he's got a couple pieces of fish. Now that lad probably can't eat two pounds of food an adult male could so he's probably got about a half a pound of food maybe maybe his mom thought well just in case he sees a friend I'll pack a little bit more maybe he's got maybe he's got two pounds of fish and uh, bread combined but she's not going to give him a 10 pound basket or 20 pound basket Flintstone box to carry around with him he's like just a boy just a little lad so it's unlikely that this thing is a massive Flintstone lunchbox. You know what I'm here saying? This is, it's, it's his food for the day. Now, I just want you to think about this and calculating this in your mind. Now, a lot of people would have a conniption if someone asked for that little lad's food. 
right? Especially a minister. And here Jesus is, he's saying, I hear you have some fish and food in that Flintstone lunchbox. Can I have that? Can you imagine what news would do with that? If some minister said, can I have your food, little boy? I mean, they'd have a conniption. But that's not how Jesus thinks. He says, I'm going to partner with you, and I'm going to make sure that you get this lunch basket back, okay? Now, if you take and multiply, we know by evidence of the scriptures that there's at least 5,000 people here besides women and children, right? If you take, let's just say, for example, somewhere between a half a pound to two pounds of food, and you multiply that, we're talking like 30, easily 40,000 times multiplied over to feed these people. That's a huge amount of times of overflow into these lives of the people. Now, the people were stuffed. The Bible says that they were filled. Their stomachs were full. They were satisfied. They were burping and belching. That's kind of Augustus' translation. I mean, they were really full. They weren't like, oh, you know, I could use a little bit more. They were stuffed. So Jesus says, okay, gather up the fragments, okay? And so the disciples, they go and gather up the fragments, and they don't bring one Flintstone box back. They don't bring a lunch pail of uh, whatever, you know. They bring 12 baskets of food back. One basket, two basket, three basket, four basket. Now these baskets are the same basket, the word that they used to lower the apostle Paul in, in the book of Acts. It's the same Greek word that they used when they lowered a, an adult male that basket is the same basket. So this is a big basket they're using to carry these. Now you got a 12 big man coming home. And if you multiply that and you figure that out, how much off of the half a pound or two pounds of food and fish that this little kid gave, you know, his fish sticks and bread and all that stuff he gave away. We're talking no less than a thousand times multiplied back to this boy. Doesn't that sound like Deuteronomy 111? That God desires to multiply us and increase us a thousand times more? That's the very nature of God. God wants you to have an excess. He wants you to have an excessive amount, an abundance, an overflowing abundance. Why? So you have enough for all, for every good work. Because it's now in your very desire, God increased me so I can be a blessing. Why did he bless Abraham? I bless him to be a blessing. God's very core desire is for you to imitate him and to become like him. And anytime your dreams connect with helping other people in life and helping this world become a better place, God has no problem overflowing the abundance of blessings in your life. Because now you realize it's about people. And you can take the tools and the gifts and the blessings in your life to help other people's lives improve and get better. And as a result, now you are being like Jesus. And that's what God is after is he wants you to begin to overflow so you can be like Jesus. We serve a God who is a God of too much running over. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over, breaking, bolt, sinking, net breaking, 12 baskets overflowing. We serve a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he is a God that just says, I'm not done pouring. I'm going to keep pouring and keep pouring. Now here's my challenge to you, is don't choke it. Because of your performance mindset. 
make a decision to understand that God is a God of unconditional agape love. That he is here for you because he wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. If you receive this, will you say amen? amen? You can bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Next week, we have a message called Perfectly Safe, that God is a protective God. Father, I thank you today. Just being in your presence is an honor. That alone is more than enough for us. And we are so satisfied and so content with having a personal relationship with you, Jesus. It's truly the greatest gift we have. And anything and everything that goes above and beyond that is just echoing what you're saying. I love you. To the point of overflow, of understanding that you're a good God, a good father, you're a good shepherd, and you love your sheep. You love your people. We thank you for that love today and helping us to receive your love and helping us to stop blaming you when bad things happen and helping us to get on your side to understand there is a big difference and that's why Jesus painted the picture. It's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Help us to keep up that shield of faith because we understand that faith works through love. So today... It's the very desire of our heart to understand your love in fuller measures. And that's my prayer for your people today, is that we would come to comprehend the length, the depth, the breadth, and the height of your love. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never made that decision to accept a good shepherd, maybe it's because you were told that he was a good shepherd, but then the next thing you knew, something was stolen from you or someone came along and destroyed what God was trying to do in your life and you thought it was God. Somebody told you an untruth. And you're saying, Pastor, I've been told a lie and I, I need to repent. I need to come back to Jesus or I need to accept Jesus for the first time in my life. If that's you and you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. All over this auditorium, those that are watching online today, if you're saying, I want to accept Jesus or I want to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus, with every head bowed and every eye closed all over this auditorium, if that's you, slip up your hands all over this room right now. I want to accept the good shepherd. I want to accept Jesus Christ or I want to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your hands. Any others, you're just saying, Pastor, pray for me too. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I sense in my heart I'm supposed to wait for someone. I appreciate that hand. Anyone else? Just a moment longer. Anyone else? Today is a time and the truth for you to know Jesus who so loves you and treasures you. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to know him personally, not just know about him, but he wants you to know him personally. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So today, it's your opportunity to call on Jesus, his name so you too can be saved. He's a good shepherd. He's a protective shepherd. He's a providing shepherd. He's a peaceful shepherd. And he loves you. So I'm going to ask with every hand on a heart today all over this auditorium, those that are watching online, 
You can put a hand on your heart. We're going to pray with those that are making that quality choice and that decision to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let sin hold you back. Saying, I like the sin too much. Don't let that hold you back. Accept him and he'll start cleaning you up. He'll start changing the desires of your heart. But you don't have to be cleaned up, sir, before you accept Jesus Christ. He says, come as you are. Now, he's not going to leave you the way you are. He's going to start changing things on the inside of you. You're going to start desiring new things. But you can't do this in your own strength. Well, as soon as I get cleaned up, then I'll come and accept Jesus. Don't wait until then. It could be too late for you. Make the decision today. The Bible says today is your day for salvation. So with a hand on your heart all over this auditorium, I want you to pray this from your own heart. I'm going to lead you in this prayer of salvation. And I believe that God's going to touch your heart all over this auditorium today. Those that are watching online, we want you to pray this prayer with us. Join us in this as we pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. I commit my life to you now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.